0: Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. As I was writing this sermon, um, I have certain benchmarks where if I've written so long, it's going to be so long. And as I was working on point number one in my outline, I reached the benchmark of a full sermon, so I stopped. So (laughs) we're going to take a couple weeks. to work through uh, Paul's speech in Acts chapter 20. And uh, so today we're going to do point one. And then next, uh, not next week, Pastor Dave's preaching next week. And then the week after I'm going to do points two through four. And then I'm going to do a whole other sermon on the rest of this speech. Um, because I think it's a very important for how we, how we live our lives, how we are uh, ministers and missionaries in our community here. So, no reason to rush through God's word, so we'll just take our time. So, as we begin to look at this speech of Paul in Acts chapter 20, it's going to be on page 929 if you're using one of the chair Bibles. But one of the things that I was thinking about as I was preparing this sermon was, to me it's interesting which... TV shows and movies capture the imagination of our culture. So you think of the quotable movies and TV shows. So I think of, in my lifetime, I think of TV shows like Seinfeld, where it seems like everybody was quoting from that show every day. And you you quote from it, and people know what you're talking about, from not having soup to wearing fluffy shirts, Things like in my generation, the movie Braveheart, where it seemed like every coach or every male under 30 memorized that big speech before the big uh, crash of the armies and wanted to wear blue face paint. It was a phase for all of us, I know. But what's interesting to me is when a movie or a TV show that's not actually really popular, finds its way to influence our culture. And one of those movies is a movie from 2007 called The Bucket List. Now, the movie The Bucket List, by all accounts, really wasn't that popular. In fact, I've got a quote from a critic that said this, a movie starring starring Morgan Freeman and Jack uh, Nicholson. So it should be good, because they're good actors. The the critics said this, not even the earnest performances of the two leads could rescue the bucket list from its schmaltzy script. (laughs) That's what the critics thought about that. But, to my knowledge, this movie started a term that when this movie came out, I saw, pervade our culture. This idea of a bucket list. Now, if you weren't watching movies in 2007, here's what a bucket list is. Bucket list is a list of things you want to do before you kick the bucket. I didn't even need to watch the movie for that. I figured that out in the the previews. But (laughs) that's how popular this movie was. I never saw it. (laughs) But in the research I did, this idea of a bucket list, which all of us, if I just started there, would know... I think most of us would know what that was, what originated with this movie. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, why did this, again, not really popular movie, why did it resonate so much with our culture that we had, it created a term that we use in our common language today? What about this movie connected with us so that even if we didn't actually see the movie, knew what the term was and have probably used it at one or more time in our lives. And I think the answer to that lies in this idea of living a life with no regrets. I think that really resonated with people. And I think it still does today. I think a fear that exists in our culture is that when we get to the end of our life, will we look back with regret or satisfaction? Now, whether we could actually articulate that, I think at one time or another, all of us have thought that. When I look back at what I've done, Will I be content? Will I be fulfilled? Will I be satisfied? Or will I have deep regret? Now in the movie, and again, thankfully you don't even need to watch the whole movie to get this, but the way that the movie pursues this is that Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson do things like skydiving and driving race cars. Things that they want to do before they die. But as we think about what the Bible says about living a life of no regrets, the Bible has nothing to say about skydiving and race cars. And so as we look at what Paul says, because when Paul is speaking here, He is putting forth a pattern of life that we can follow that will lead to a life of satisfaction and no regrets. And in some ways, it's going to be very normal. Again, no skydiving here. At least not this part of the Bible. Maybe other parts. I don't know. But so today we're going to look at a part of this that a life of no regrets essential to a life lived that will bring satisfaction and fulfillment even when we look back on it. Essential to that is boldly declaring the word of God. Now as you look in your big idea there in the uh, bulletin there, this is the big idea for the whole speech. So we're going to get to other aspects of it, but essential to this, essential to what the pattern that Paul is saying, is bold proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's start. We're in chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 17. Follow along as I read there, verses 17. Uh, I'm going to start verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul is on his route to go to Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem to go to Rome. That's his big plan. And so he's in Miletus, which is a coastal town. It's a port town where he can get a boat because that's the best way to travel back then. And when he's in this town, he he gets a messenger or he sends a letter to the elders in the city of Ephesus, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and he says, Hey, come down to Miletus. I want to talk to you before I leave. And the rest of the speech is him talking to these elders about what he has done among them. And then there's also a section on directly saying, What do you need to do when I'm gone? So, today we're going to focus on the first part of that. And that is point number one in your outline there, declaring the whole counsel of God. Start in verse uh, 18 there. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials what happened to me through the plots of the Jews the first thing that we see in this idea of boldly declaring the word of God is that bold proclamation of the word of God happens by being among people Again, Paul is going to be talking about his ministry among the Ephesians, and here we have a pattern for our ministry in our church and in our community. And the first thing he starts with is an emphasis on that he was among them. He lived among them. Verse 18, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. See, we can't affect our community if we're isolated from our communities. We need to be among people. I've shared this example before, but if you go into an old historic neighborhood, say in the city, say like a city of Chicago, one huge difference between the houses there and the houses here is that all those houses have porches. Now, if you've lived long enough, you've sort of seen the decline of porches in houses over time. And how easy it is because of technology and because of other factors in our lives to just zip into your driveway, close the garage door, and never see your neighbor even though you live next door to him. In one sense, it sounds so simple that to share with someone, you have to be around them. But this is one of those parts of the life we're called to live as missionaries to our world that is easy to understand but hard to do. It is easier to live in isolation, it's less messy, it's not as hard. But God is calling us to be among the people in the places he has put us. God has sovereignly put you in the neighborhood in which you live. God has sovereignly placed you in the town or city that you live in. And just like Paul, because this is not just a job for The missionaries, who are called missionaries, it's for all of us who are missionaries because we're followers of Jesus. We're called to be among the people. See, because I can't serve someone, I can't share with someone if I'm not around them. And central to a life of no regrets is serving and ministering to others. An isolated life will lead to regrets. In verse twenty, Paul shows us another aspect of declaring the whole counsel of God. So he he declared among the people. We also declared through bold teaching. Look at verse twenty. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Now it's such an interesting phrase of how he puts it. He doesn't say, I boldly spoke about Jesus. What does he say? He uses a negative there. He says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you. Well, why would he say it that way? Why would you shrink away from something? There's a fear aspect to it. You shrink away from something when you're afraid of what that person is going to do or what is going to happen in that moment. And so, what Paul helps us understand is that a lot of times it's not that we don't know what to say, it's that we're afraid to say it. Fear is one of the greatest enemies of the gospel. And too often, instead of being empowered by the Holy Spirit, we let fear control what we do. Again, as we think of this bigger picture, a life of no regrets is not a life controlled by fear. Again, we've seen in... Chapter 19, we have the, the Spirit of God in us. So we don't need to be afraid. And so we can not shrink from declaring the Word of God. We need to be driven by what God wants and not our fear. So we see that Paul taught among the people. He spoke boldly, and that's another thing that our witness is not just what we say, but it has to include what we say. Again, if you if you've ever heard, it's a quote attributed to Saint Francis of Assisi, but historically, there's actually not a really lot of support that he actually said it. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of use, preach, uh, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. Okay, historically, he, he actually probably never said that. Um, there's no basis for him saying that. But in one sense, yes, your life should back up what you say. Exactly. But using words is always necessary. So Paul was among the people. He spoke the word with Courage but he also taught all people. Look at verse 21. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul grew up as a Jew, and in the Jewish mind, you divided people into two categories. Those who were Jewish and those who were not. Okay, so when he says Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody. Because if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So Paul is highlighting the fact that he spoke to all categories and types of people. Again, a life of regret is one where we only interact with either only believers or only people like us maybe who have the same social standing, same economic standing, dressed the same. But Paul highlights for us here that the life of no regret, the life that brings satisfaction and fulfillment, is a life that engages all people, even the funny-looking ones. Because if you think they're funny-looking, then they think you're funny-looking. Okay, so it just goes back and forth. <laughs> But see, a life of no regret crosses those boundaries that we're afraid to cross. Again, our culture, our world has set up boundaries, whether those are ethnic boundaries, whether those are economic boundaries, whether that's the blue-collar, white-collar boundaries, the life that brings regret never crosses those boundaries. It brings that, oh, I wished I wished I would have done that. I wished I would have spoken to my neighbor. Because when we look back at something, we see how artificial that distinction is. Or when you look at something 20 years, that happened 20 years ago, the thing that stopped you gets so much smaller. God has called us to both the Jews and the Greeks. Both the people like us and the people different from us. And when we have an eternal perspective, when we have the perspective of making disciples of all nations and of all people, those fences and those walls get a little smaller. And we see that they're not walls. But it's just a little little mound that we can step right over. The problem is, is that this fra- threatens our comfort zone. What will I talk about? What will I say? What if they think I'm crazy? You now, if you have those questions and you look back 20 years later, you'd be like, what if they think I'm crazy? <laughs> but live today like that. Again, we, we are so fortunate to live in a country that oftentimes the worst thing that people can do to us as Christians is think we're crazy. It's not that bad when you think about it. you're not going to regret sharing the gospel with someone who's different from you because you look back and be like, that was worth it because I shared the gospel message of Jesus Christ that any person can be forgiven of their sin and receive salvation which leads to eternal life. Who cares what color their hair is? Who cares how they dress when I can share eternal life with them? That is a life of no regret. The way that we step across those lines, we have to be motivated by something. And the motivation that I come back to again and again in the Bible is this. is my love for those who do not know Jesus. And that love is based on the love that I was shown by Jesus. Right? First John, we all know, we love because he first loved us. So if we're not willing to step over those boundaries... We have to question if I really do love that other person. And if I don't really love that other person, then I have to question whether I really understand the love that Jesus has for me. And again, the love that Jesus has for you is while you were still a sinner... While you were still an enemy of God, Christ died for you. That is the love of Jesus. And that is a love that will propel you across the social lines. It will propel you into the lives of others with the good news of Jesus. because one reason we don't share the good news is that we don't really understand it for ourselves. So again, Paul taught among people. he, He boldly shared with them Jesus. He spoke to all types of people. Number four there, he was teaching the whole story. Look at verses 21 and then we're going to hop down to verses 26 and 27. So let's start at verse 21. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back for just a second, Isaac. Thanks. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul summarizes his message there as repentance towards God, repentance of sin, confession of sin, and faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection. That's one way that we can summarize what Paul was preaching. Notice he said this message to both Jews and to Greeks. It was one message for everybody. He didn't try to change the message, the content of the message, to match the people that he was talking to. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, how he presented that changed. But what he said never changed. And this is a problem that we can sometimes do without even knowing. We can try to make Christianity a little more palatable. Again, an example I've used before is of Thomas Jefferson, where he didn't feel that the miracles of the Bible were palatable to the modern mind of his day. So what did he do? He chopped them out (laughs) and created a new Bible that was supposedly more palatable to the people he knew. See, we can't do that. Go down to verse 26. He comes back to this. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Go to the next slide there, Isaac. Thanks. Good. Look at verse 27. I did not shrink, you see that again there, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So what does it look like for us today to not share the whole story? What parts might we leave out? A couple of modern day ones that I've seen, that I've experienced, is we want to leave out Sin. So we talk about the love of Jesus but we don't talk about the justice that sin deserves one example and again I think this was a good intentioned thing but I think it's something that has been misover- misunderstood over times is if you're familiar with the four spiritual laws that Campus Crusade used for many years first spiritual law God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life If he has a wonderful plan for me, why does 1 Peter talk about suffering for doing good? I thought I was supposed to have a wonderful life. So one of the critiques of that first spiritual law is one, it doesn't define what wonderful life is. And because of the language, it's very easy to misunderstand it. I heard from a friend, he was doing marital counseling With a couple, and they told him about a previous uh, pastor that they were um, having counseling with. And they said that this pastor told them, If you become Christians, your marriage will be great. Now, in one sense, I think that's completely true. That I think the pattern of marriage that is in the Bible is the pattern that God intended and brings joy to both spouses. But what they took it as was if you become Christians you'll never have a fight again. Now, I wasn't there so I don't know if they just weren't listening or if the pastor dropped the ball on this one I don't know. But it's very possible that when he said that Christianity will make your marriage great, that he did forget to say, oh, by the way, you will still have conflict, you will still have issues to work through, that the pattern of marriage in the Bible is one that we grow in and mature in, and over time it does bring joy, but that doesn't mean there aren't any hardships. When we talk in cliche and platitude, sometimes we miss the nuance of reality and thereby do not share the whole counsel of God. Don't just share what you think they want to hear, share what's actually there. And trust that God knows what He's doing. Because in one sense, it's a lack of trust in God because he wrote the Bible. <laughs> it's his word. But sometimes we think, well, you know, God, you probably shouldn't have put that part in. Let me, let me help you out, big guy. Now, we'd never say that, but sometimes we do that. But let me speak from personal experience here. That when I have talked to people who don't know Christ about what it means to follow Jesus, that it's a life of self-denial, that it is a life where we do experience opposition simply because of our faith in its various forms. When I have said that, when I have shared what Paul would call here the whole counsel of God, when I have been open about the hard parts of the Bible. There's a freedom in that I don't have to keep hiding the hard stuff. I don't have to keep shifting the pile of dirt under the carpet. <laughs> There's a freedom in saying, this, I've told you everything. Everything you need to know. And now the decision is up to yours. There's a freedom there. There's a a lack of regrets. I have shared with you everything you need to know to become a believer. And now you need to decide. And look how Paul says it there. Therefore I test to you all this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. There's no regrets there. He said, I've shared with you everything. There's nothing behind the curtain. And so my conscience is clean. And so now it is up to them to decide. This is the first part. Of what it looks like to follow Jesus in a way that doesn't lead to regret, but leads to fulfillment and satisfaction. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at more of those, but I want to start here. Because Paul talks more about this part than any other part. central to a life of no regret is faithfully and boldly sharing the gospel of Jesus. Lovingly stepping across lines and boundaries and courageously sharing the good news that Jesus died for sinners. This is the beginning of living a life now that will not lead to regret. Let's pray. Father God, that we would love the lost that we would love our community to be among them, to share clearly and faithfully the good news of Jesus Christ. To share with them the whole counsel of God. To not be ashamed of your truth, but to lovingly and truthfully share your word. God, empower us by your spirit to live a life of no regrets, a life centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. This time I'm going to invite those helping with communion to come forward at this time.